When I first got started in this business, I read every book Seth Godin wrote on marketing. He was, in my opinion, the number one guru. And once I finished reading his books, I started reading every marketing book that had been endorsed by Seth Godin. There's a reason that Platform by Michael Hyatt has Seth Godin's endorsement at the top of the front of the book. Hyatt knew that there were a lot of people like me who only needed to see Seth Godin's name on the book to buy the book. Getting solid endorsements can really make a difference in marketing your book. They can boost the conversion rate of your Amazon page, and they make it more likely that when someone takes your book off the shelf in the bookstore, they take it to the checkout rather than putting it back on the shelf. Endorsements are particularly important for religious books. Is this book heretical? The way most readers decide is based off of who has endorsed the book. The right endorsements help someone know the book is safe. We all want great endorsements to put on our book covers or on Amazon, but how do we get credible people to want to endorse our books? Well, that is what we're going to talk about in this episode of Novel Marketing, the longest running book marketing podcast in the world. I'm Thomas Umstadt Jr., CEO of Author Media, and this is the show for writers who want to build their platform, sell more books, and make a difference with writing worth talking about. Now, before we talk about how to get endorsements, I want to briefly explain the difference between endorsements and reviews, because there's a lot of confusion in the community right now over these two different things. So there are two kinds of reviews. There are star reviews that readers leave on an Amazon page or other bookstore page. And then there are also reviews left by newspapers and other journalistic entities that review books. And they will share the good and the bad of the book. That is not what we are talking about in this episode. In this episode, we're talking about endorsements. Sometimes they're called blurbs, although that term doesn't necessarily mean what you think it means. But this is the text that goes on the cover of the book and under the editorial reviews section of the Amazon page. So there is basically unlimited freedom in who reviews your book. While Amazon frowns on authors reviewing each other's books in the reviews section meant for readers, it has no problem with other authors leaving an endorsement for your book. So now with that out of the way, let's go to step one, identify candidates. Credibility is a funny thing, and it doesn't work the way you'd think it would work. In an ideal world, everyone would have a level of credibility, right? One person's a five on credibility and somebody else is a 25 on credibility, but that's not how credibility works. Some people are credible to some people and other people are not. I've often had authors come to me asking me to write an endorsement because they listen to the show and they trust my recommendations on books. And I'm honored to get these requests. It's very flattering when someone reaches out to me asking for an endorsement. But I turn these reviews down, these endorsements down. Why? Because I'm not credible to readers. Readers of Sweet Romance don't care what a marketing guru says about a book. Now, if the book was about marketing or podcasting or online course creation, then my endorsement might be worth something. But to a regular reader, the fact that your marketing person endorses your book doesn't mean anything. Your mom might as well have uh, her endorsement on your book. So the principle here, and this is very important, is that you need to know your Timothy. It doesn't matter who you think is credible. It matters who your Timothy thinks 
is credible. This is why it's so important to get to know your Timothy. And if you don't know who your Timothy is or what I'm talking about, listen to my episode from a few weeks back called How to Find Your Readers. You can't find uh, credible endorsers for your book until you already know who is credible for your readers. Here's an extreme example to illustrate my point. Let's say you write a thriller where terrorists kidnap the president and you're like, I need to get a president to endorse this book. And somehow you're able to get Donald Trump to endorse the book. Is that a good endorsement? It depends. A lot of people hate Donald Trump. And if your Timothy is one of those people, a Trump endorsement may hurt your book sales, not help your book sales, even though Donald Trump is one of the few living beings on planet Earth who know what it's like to be an American president. And before you think I'm picking sides, the same is true if Joe Biden were to endorse your book. Some people hate Joe Biden and would never read anything with his name on it. So obviously politics is an extreme example, but that is true with pretty much every aspect of your life. So I encourage you to survey your beta readers and see who is important, who is influential for them. Now, I'm going to be using the term influencer a lot. And I realize that when a lot of people hear the word influencer, they think Instagram star, TikTok dancer. But influencer is really anyone who has influence. So it could be that YouTube star, but it also could be your local pastor. There are many kinds of influence in this world and many different kinds of people have influence. And the kind of book that you're writing really determines which kind of influencers you want to reach out to. So as you're surveying your Timothy, and when I say survey, this could be you talking to him on the phone, or it could be you creating a Google form and literally mailing it to people or emailing the link to people, asking them uh, to fill it out. So here's some questions to ask on your survey. What podcasts do you listen to? What YouTube channels do you subscribe to? Who do they follow on social media? What books do they read? Who writes those books? Who endorses them? And for nonfiction, who has credibility on this topic? Uh, so, for example, let's say you're writing a book about adopting a pet. Well, a pet shelter director may be a really good endorsement, right? If you go to your local pet shelter and the director writes endorsement for your book, that's not the typical, oh, this is a book endorser kind of person, but it would give a lot of credibility to your book about adopting a shelter pet. Now, the answer to a lot of these questions can be identified with a little bit of Facebook stalking, right? And once you know who your Timothy is, you can actually look at his Facebook page and see who he follows. You can look at his Goodreads reviews. You can see what kind of Amazon reviews he leaves on Amazon. Much of this information is available publicly on the internet. So you don't have to survey people. In fact, there is a big difference between how people report they behave as compared to how they actually behave. People are not honest on surveys. This is the big problem with polling. The other thing I want to encourage you is to think outside the box. Fellow author endorsements are some of the best endorsements you can get, but they're not the only kind of endorsements you can get. There are many other kinds of endorsements and endorsers you can reach out to. But for fiction, other novelists are really great because each novelist who endorses your book comes with this implied, if you like Narnia, you will like Middle Earth promise. And this is indeed the case, right? Most Narnia fans also are fans of Middle Earth. And other authors who write similar books to you who are known can be really good endorsers. So let's say I've read every book that Larry Correa has written and I see his endorsement on your book. I'm now much more likely to read your book, even if I don't know anything about you. 
But again, I can't stress this enough. The endorsement has no value if the reader doesn't know who the endorser is or has heard of their book. Or, and I guess this is one exception, if the reader is familiar with the endorser's title. So, right, the director of the Austin, Texas Pet Shelter. That's a title a reader would recognize. And even though they don't recognize Jane Smith, they recognize the title. Or if somebody's a Nobel Prize winner, I don't need to know their name to know that that's an impressive endorsement. But in general, I need to recognize as the reader something about this endorser. If it's just a random name, how do I know you didn't just create a fictional person to endorse your book? It's happened. People are very leery and very suspicious these days. So now you've identified or you're starting to identify people who are potential endorsers for your book. What do you do? Well, you write a list. And I would put the list of potential endorsers into three categories. This is the high school senior strategy. So when high school seniors are applying to college, they put their colleges into three categories, dream colleges, target colleges, and safety colleges. And I recommend that you do the same thing with endorsers. So yes, shoot for the stars. Get the most famous person in your genre, put them on the list, but realize your likelihood of getting that person as an endorsement is low. So you also want some target people that you feel like you have a good chance with and then some safety people so that your book doesn't go out with no endorsements. What a tragedy, right? You got to get something on there. And I have a gift for you to help you with this. I created a tracking spreadsheet that you can download for free. And as we go through this process, through the rest of this episode, this tracking spreadsheet will help you with uh, tracking the pitching, right? The follow-up and getting their contact information. It all gives you one place to put it and you can download that spreadsheet for free at authormedia.com forward slash 297 for episode 297. Just scroll down. It'll be, you'll put in your email address and we'll email you a link to that spreadsheet. All right. So now it's time for step two, build rapport. Many authors think that getting endorsements is simply a matter of writing an amazing book and then sending out advanced reader copies. If only it were that easy. I know authors who get dozens of books in the mail from strangers asking for endorsements. They could spend all day, every day, just reading books to possibly endorse. If they did that, they would make no money and their family would starve. So those books go ignored. Influencers just don't have time to read books by strangers. When you ask someone to endorse your book, you're asking for a big favor. Depending on how long your book is and how fast of a reader they are, you're asking for a day, maybe two days worth of work just to read it, and then they have to draft an endorsement. For influential people, that is like asking them for hundreds of dollars, maybe thousands of dollars. And strangers are not going to just give thousands of dollars to other strangers. So the first step in getting an endorsement is to stop being a stranger. So most influencers decide whether or not to endorse a book based off of who the author is before they ever read the book. Then they read it to figure out what to say or maybe to decide not to endorse the book. But typically influencers won't read an advanced reader copy of a book unless they already think there's a good chance that they're going to endorse it. So the principle here is to dig your well before you're thirsty. It takes time to build rapport with people. Uh, So you want to start the networking process long before you plan to publish your book. For traditional authors, the publishing process is so slow that you might have time 
to build rapport during that publishing process. But if you're indie, you're going to need to make a concerted effort to start making friends with influencers right now. And you may need to delay the publication of your book if you weren't working on this. And many indie books go with no endorsements because the indies are just too impatient to collect those endorsements. And it really hurts their conversion rates. It really hurts their sales because there's no one vouching for the book. And a book with no one vouching for is very sus, very suspect, as the kids would say. Now, here's the dirty little secret of book endorsements. And I know this because I've worked as a marketing person for a lot of authors while they were in the process of getting their endorsements in. Many influencers neither read the book they are endorsing or write the endorsement. They know and like the author already, and they want to help the author out as a favor, uh, but they don't have a free day to read the book. So they ask the author to draft their own endorsement for them, for them to tweak and approve. So the influencer is approving the endorsement. They're tweaking the endorsement, but they're often not writing the endorsement. Sometimes during the uh, copywriting process for the book back cover copy, there'll be a phrase or a sentence and like this phrase or sentence would really be stronger coming out of someone else's mouth. And so the author will go to one of the endorsers uh, she has lined up and say, Hey, would you be willing to say such and such about my book? And the endorser says yes. And that's what gets put on the book. So what you need to understand is that endorsements are more about the author than they are about the book itself. Endorsements are really endorsing the author rather than endorsing the book, which leads us to an, another important principle, which is endorsements are fruit that grows from the tree of friendship. C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien were friends for years before Tolkien asked Lewis to endorse his new book, The Fellowship of the Ring. In fact, Tolkien played a key part in Lewis's conversion to Christianity. So, there was a lot of rapport, a lot of favors had been exchanged. I don't know of a greater gift you could give someone than helping to convert them. So if you go to Amazon for the Fellowship of the Ring, the first endorsement you will see is an endorsement from C.S. Lewis. It's the same endorsement that has been on and off these book covers for decades. And the endorsement is, here are beauties which pierce like swords or burn like cold iron. C.S. Lewis. Now, when C.S. Lewis wrote that endorsement. He was perhaps the number one fantasy author in the world. He had been releasing a new Narnia book every year for the last five years, and those Narnia books were setting the world on fire. So when people saw C.S. Lewis's endorsement and they looked at this big long book, The Lord of the Rings, they decided to give it a try. And when the beginning dragged a little bit, they kept reading because if C.S. Lewis says this is great, I've got to give it a shot. And suddenly it grabbed them by the throat and took them on a ride. And it's been taking readers on a ride ever since. Now, I want to say, Tolkien didn't lead C.S. Lewis to Christ so that one day he would endorse his book. You know, he invested in the friendship for its own sake. And the endorsement was just one of many fruits that came from the tree. So I don't want you to get this quid pro quo attitude. That's not the way to think about it. Just be generous. <laughs> just give generously. And bless generously. And if you sow abundantly, you will reap abundantly. As everyone hears before they go off to kindergarten, to have a good friend, you need to be a good friend. So think of ways that you can bless other people, that you can be generous to other people with your knowledge, with your information. And the classic way, the kind of traditional way that this has been done for thousands of years is by hosting parties. Uh, this is why wealthy people have such large houses historically. 
It's not because they live in those houses. It's not because they enjoy spending lots of money on a big house. Maybe some people do because they're trying to show off. But the main reason wealthy people have large houses, historically anyway, was so that they could entertain. By throwing lavish parties and inviting lots of people, they're able to build lots of goodwill that help them in the other endeavors of their life. Everyone wants to be the friend of a generous man. And you know that that's not true. Well, let's look at the flip side. Imagine your friend who only calls you when they need something. That kind of person often has a hard time making and keeping friendships because they're hoping to reap before they sow. They've got it backwards. You've got to sow before you can reap. Now, I talked about this principle a few months ago in my episode about reciprocity, and I'll have a link to that episode in the show notes. This is one of the marketing psychology episodes, and it is one of the most fundamental psychological motivators in humans. So, for example, back when Hurricane Katrina happened, many people from New Orleans and from Louisiana had to flee the state. And many of them went to the next largest city, and the nearest major city was Houston, Texas. And Houston, Texas opened up their homes, they opened up their shelters, they opened up their schools. There's a lot of schools that just suddenly had five or six new students in the classroom from New Orleans because people were evacuating, their homes were destroyed. And years later, when Hurricane Harvey hit Houston, do you know what people in New Orleans did and people in Louisiana did? They just took their trucks and their boats and drove to Houston. They didn't ask permission. They didn't wait. They just took time off work, drove to Houston, and started fishing people out of the water. It was an amazing moment, right? We saw the whole country come together. And it was an act of reciprocity because Texas and Louisiana have been helping each other out with hurricanes for a 100 years, right? We both get hit with hurricanes. Hurricanes are nothing new. There have been really bad hurricanes. In fact, I think the worst natural disaster in American history in terms of lives lost was a hurricane that hit Texas. And so when Hurricane Ivan just a few weeks ago hit uh, Louisiana, what do we do here in Texas? We immediately started raising money. We immediately started sending help, regular people and the government, right? Because we have a reciprocal relationship with Louisiana. We're not keeping score. We're not being like, oh, well, you sent... You know, 80 boats you know, with the Cajun Navy to help people in Houston. So we're going to send 80 boats. No, no, that's not how it works. It's a matter of gifts. It's a matter of loves. And it is one of the most powerful principles in life. And so, so generously, use the money that you have to make friends here on earth. <laughs> uh, Jesus actually talked about this principle. He's like, if you're going to have money, I use it to make friends and to bless other people. Now, there are many ways of blessing other people. I'm not saying you hand out cash. That's not what I'm saying. And, and that's not what uh, Louisiana and Texas were doing, right? Because when you've been hit with a hurricane, you don't need cash immediately, right? What you need is people on the ground who didn't experience the trauma to help, right? I remember going and doing hurricane relief. And it's like, why are we going and helping these people? They're here and they can't work because their jobs have been destroyed. But once I got there, I got it. Right? It's like, oh, there's so much trauma they, psychologically, people who've experienced a disaster can't really function, right? You need people who didn't experience the disaster to come and help and, you know, serve food. And uh, having experienced this snowstorm here in Texas, I get it. Like, we, we were basically unable to function during that ice storm because it was so tragic and so intense emotionally. But I'm getting off topic here a little bit. So anyway, other ways that you can bless people. One is to host a podcast. 
this is one of the like cheapest ways to really bless other authors. If you are someone who hosts a podcast on your genre, you have an amazing platform to offer pretty big favors to other authors in your genre. And it's also a really great way to get to know other authors in your genre. Most authors will say yes to a podcast invite to talk about their book. And before and after the podcast interview, there's typically chit-chat. And I've formed many friendships from podcast interviews. In fact, the foreword for my book is someone I've never met in person. I had her on my podcast a couple times. I had her on my radio show a couple times. A friendship built from those interactions. And when I reached out to her and asked her to write a foreword for my book, she was happy to do it. So you invite every week a new author onto your podcast. And then when it's time to ask for your endorsements, you're no longer a stranger. Now, when you reach out, don't be like, I, uh, you hosted you on my podcast, so you owe me. No, 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 that's obnoxious. And it's also unneeded. People tend to remember when someone has done them a good turn, right? People in Texas didn't forget about the Cajun Navy and all of those folks from Louisiana coming and helping out in our time of need. We remember. (laughs) Uh, You remember when someone has done you a good turn. You remember when someone has done you a bad turn. Another way to dig your well before you're thirsty is to attend conferences. It's a lot more expensive than starting a podcast, but it is in some ways more powerful because you get a chance to meet people face to face. And this can be worth the investment if you can afford it, because that face-to-face interaction is really powerful. And I will say, many authors go to a lot of conferences early in their careers because they're trying to learn, right? They don't know what they don't know, so they're going to conferences and they're taking classes. And the other authors who are going to lots of conferences around that same time are other authors early in their careers. And these authors become a cohort, almost like a graduating class of sorts, where they're helping each other out, often throughout their careers. (laughs) So... And that relationship continues or can continue even after the authors stop going to conferences. Because typically after somebody's published two or three books, they don't go to conferences anymore unless they're faculty. They may still go to retreats, but they're not trying to learn how to get published and a lot of the typical talks that are popular at a typical writer's conference. So let's say, oh, I can't afford to fly all over the country and go to writer's conferences. Okay, there's some other things you can try. One is to start a writer's group. A great way to bless other authors and engender a sense of reciprocity in them is to run a local writer's group. And if you have speakers speak at your writer's group, it's another way to reach out to more famous authors, right? You reach out to them and say, hey, we're looking for a speaker. Would you like to come and speak one time at our writer's group? It's another networking tool. But I will say most authors want to be part of a critique group to help them improve their craft, but very few are willing to start one. But most of the benefits from a networking perspective and a reciprocity and a rapport perspective come from being the one who runs the group. So if you are willing to do the extra work to run the group, you will really bless a lot of people and you will be compensated in return. Not in money, but in the gift economy, the reciprocity economy. This is the principle I'm trying to explain. And I will say, I have a course on how to start and run a writer's group. It's included in the five-year plan, which is our popular plan for helping you with your career, which will help you actually with the networking. We have a whole guide on when and how to go to writers' conferences. So it's included for free in the five-year plan, but you can also purchase it separately. And I'll have a link in the show notes at authormedia.com slash 295. So I got a lot of resources in this week's episode. 
Another way that you can build your personal social network is to be active with other authors on authormedia.social. This is a special social network I created just for authors, and it's my gift to the community. You can find it at www.authormedia.social. And it's the perfect place to meet and get to know fellow writers. There are places to ask questions about craft and platform and marketing. There's places to celebrate accomplishments, post jobs or find jobs. We have a very active job board that a lot of people are using to find the professionals they need to help them with their book. There's a a board just for posting jokes and a whole lot more. So if you want to hang out with the kind of authors who listen to this podcast, then authormedia.social may quickly become one of your favorite places on the internet. And I've seen authors find endorsements on authormedia.social just by being in class with each other. Uh, This is especially true for the kind of course-only sections. So the the main part of authormedia.social is available to everyone, but there's a special section just for students of the Book Launch Blueprint, which opens once a year in the spring. And then there's also a section just for students of Obscure No More, which is open currently at all times. That may change in the future, but right now it's beta release. It's at a special discounted rate and I'm still building the course and students are giving me feedback. I've been getting a lot of feedback this week. It's been very helpful. I just posted a a session on search engine optimization. A lot of people have been getting back to me and tell you what, when you create courses for authors and you have typos, you hear about it. (laughs) So I've been hearing about my typos. But anyway, authormedia.social is my gift to the author community. And it's free of a lot of the drama and noise that you find on Facebook groups. So if you're looking for an online free way to interact with other authors, authormedia.social is a great place to do it. And if you want a more in-depth version of authormedia.social, buying one of the courses will unlock more of authormedia.social. Okay, so now it's time for step three. So you've generated your list of influencers and you've started building rapport with them. Now it's time to ask for the endorsement. But remember, don't be in a rush. Asking someone to read your book in the next couple of months is one thing. Asking them to drop everything and read your book right now is something else entirely. The more influential someone is, the busier they tend to be. And the more you rush people, the less likely they are to endorse your book. So let's talk about how to ask friends first. I think the most effective way to ask a friend for an endorsement is either over the phone or over Zoom face-to-face. In person is even better if you're in the same area, but one of the things about authors, especially author friends who meet at conferences, is that they don't tend to live in the same city. This is different if your network is more based around your writer's group that you founded. So send them a message, schedule a Zoom call, and then chit-chat, right? Your friends, the point is not just to ask them. You're having a good time. You're asking them about how they're doing. And then at some point in the conversation, you say, my book is pretty much finished and we're looking for some influencers to write blurbs for the book or write endorsements for the book. Would you be interested in an advanced reader copy? If they don't know about your book, right? If you're good friends, hopefully they already know about your book. And when you ask them if they want an ARC or an advanced reader copy, they'll jump right on it. But maybe you're only kind of moderate level friends. So this is when you pull out your pitch, right? You say, did you hear I was working on a book? Yeah, it's, and then you go into your pitch. And if you need help with creating a killer pitch, right? That 30 second summary of why your book is amazing. I have several episodes on this. I have an episode, how to pitch your novel, which is focused 
primarily on fiction. And then I also have an episode, How to Craft a Compelling Elevator Pitch for Your Book, which is for both fiction and nonfiction. And I will have links to both of those episodes at episode 297. Once they say yes uh, to receiving the advanced reader copy, you want to ask them how they want it, right? You may send them a PDF or a paper copy, or if you're using Story Origin, you can send them a Kindle review copy of your book if you have a Kindle. I will say people hate reading PDFs as a general rule. They don't like reading on their screen. And so sending them a paper version is much better. And that's what traditionally published authors always do. They have a special type of copy of the book called an advanced reader copy. And endorsers always get a paper copy typically two to three months before their review is done or their endorsement is done. And it really makes a difference. Sending somebody a PDF is asking for an even bigger favor. And if you're giving them a paper copy, having an advanced reader copy is kind of an honor, right? It's like I have one of the rare advanced reader copies of this book. That's exciting. People were very excited to get advanced reader copies of my book when it came out. And I don't think I've seen a single one of them for sale. People have kept them in their collections, which is also fun. So now let's say that you're asking a stranger, right? You've got those dream people on your list. How do you reach out to strangers? You can still do it if you know the secret. You ready? The secret is friends. (laughs) Don't pitch the influencer directly. If you can, get to them through someone they trust. So maybe you don't know that influencer, but maybe somebody that you know knows them. This is one area where traditional authors have an advantage because agents and editors tend to have a lot of connections and can introduce you to authors who could potentially endorse your book. But you know other influential people, maybe your pastor, maybe the CEO of your company, maybe the person who's running the writer's conference that you attended. There's other influential people that you can find who can make that introduction for you. An author who wouldn't consider endorsing your book may give it a shot if her agent asked her to. So so you may be wondering, well, how do I find out what friends we have in common? Well, one way is to just ask your friends, but there's a really great tool for this called LinkedIn, which you're probably on, but you're probably not super active on. But this is a time when cleaning up your LinkedIn profile can have some benefits because LinkedIn If you find somebody on LinkedIn, it will show you if you have any friends in common. And then you can reach out to that friend. Now, warning, just because you use LinkedIn to identify that you have friends in common doesn't mean that LinkedIn is a good way to get a hold of them. A lot of people's LinkedIn messages go into a black hole that they only see on their birthdays. (laughs) So uh, the hierarchy of communication is in-person is best, face-to-face on Zoom is next best, then phone calls, then emails, then direct messages, on social media like LinkedIn. So you're much more likely to get your friend to act on your behalf if you have a phone call with your friend saying, hey, can you introduce me to so-and-so? Or an email and then last resort, a LinkedIn message. (laughs) Most people only spend a lot of time on LinkedIn when they're looking for a new job. And so it's not a good place to communicate. Your goal is to get your friend to either send an introduction email where they introduce you and the other person and they tell each of you something about the other person, right? Classic kind of business introduction email or to contact the influencer on your behalf. So in this case, they would send an email privately just to the influencer saying, hey, so-and-so, I have a friend. He's got a book I think would be very interesting to you. And, you know, you don't really know what goes in that email. And then that influencer will either reach out or she won't. And once the influencer does reach out, 
This is when you're going to pull out that handy dandy elevator pitch for your book. You're going to send them a quick, you know, one paragraph synopsis, maybe two paragraph synopsis of why your book is interesting and why they would be interested in it. So you want to tweak it for them specifically. And the stronger your pitch, the more likely they are to review your book. So having a strong pitch is really key in getting good endorsements. It's not what you think. It's not about writing a strong book. Remember, nothing I've talked about is about writing a strong book. Now, writing a strong book is more important for reviews than it is for endorsements. Endorsements are of the author more than they are of the book. And yes, I know you know somebody is an exception, or maybe you're the exception. And every time somebody sends you a book for potential endorsement, you read it word for word, cover to cover, and you take the time to do it. That's great. But just realize that that is uncommon. It's not unheard of, but it is uncommon. Another issue to keep in mind is timing, right? Modern humans don't do anything without a deadline. So once they request your book, you've sent them the pitch, they request the book, you send them the book, either by paper or however they want it, and do let them know when you need the endorsement back by. Uh, give them at least a month, right? Two months is better. And feel, also feel free to send a reminder two weeks before the deadline, but you need to let them know, hey, our book is going into publication in March. We need the endorsement back by, you know, the 1st of February or whatever the timing is. And realize not everyone's going to get back to you. Just because somebody agreed to accept your advanced reader copy doesn't mean they're going to endorse your book. Maybe they won't get around to reading it, or maybe they're going to read it and not like it. All right, so don't put all of your eggs in one basket. Don't pitch so few people that suddenly you're trying to decide if you should do another round of requests or publishing your book. Uh, you don't want to allow endorsers to hold up your launch. So if you let's say you need four endorsements for your book, you'll want to reach out to at least 12 endorsers. And going back to our uh, categories, right? you want four dream endorsers, four target endorsers, and four safety endorsers. Now, sometimes uh, the person who's agreed to review your book uh, or endorse your book will ask you, what kind of review are you looking for? What kind of endorsement are you looking for? And the reason why they're doing this is that they don't want to give you an endorsement that says the same thing that all of the other endorsements are saying, right? If you have four endorsements that all say how great the characters are, you don't want to put all four of those on the back cover copy of your book. It's too repetitive. When they ask this, and they may not, and if they don't, don't force it. But if they do ask for a theme, you need to give them an answer and be like, oh, I was wondering if you could focus on this particular aspect of the book. Or I really need somebody to speak to my credibility on such and such aspect of the topic. And this theme, if they offer, that is a gift, right? So take advantage of it. And it also makes it easier for them to write their endorsement because they know what to focus on. So it's instead of, you know, write 500 words, it's write 500 words about Christopher Columbus, right? It's an easier assignment that you're handing them. So just decide what quality of your book or you as an author do you want emphasized in the endorsement? And that's what you'll answer with theme. And I'll even have a section for theme in the tracking spreadsheet. So you can make sure you're not giving everyone the same theme. And again, you can find that tracking spreadsheet for free at authormedia.com forward slash 297. Now it's time for step four. We have the endorsements in hand. It's time to edit the endorsements. So typically, when someone writes you an endorsement, they're writing two or three paragraphs of endorsement. And 
often it will include something like, feel free to edit, or I hope this helps, feel free to edit. And the expectation is that you're going to take from those two or three paragraphs the sentence or two that is most useful to you. So they're giving you a pantry of ingredients with the expectation that you're going to pick the ingredients that are most needed for you. So even if they give you permission to edit, always, always, always have the endorser approve your edited version of the endorsement. It's not hard, right? You send them a quick email with the version that you plan to use on the book and say, is this okay with you? And make sure you get that back from them. And ideally, I'd say make sure you get it back from them in writing because this can be a disaster if they withdraw their endorsement or say that you plagiarized their endorsement or you edited it without permission. So it's totally fine to edit, but only if you get their approval at the end. And I will say I've never seen this with the clients that I've worked for in this process. I've never seen this actually be an issue, right? Normally your friends asking for approval at the end it's no big deal, so just do it. <laughs> I'm not going to belabor this too much because hopefully uh, you're mature enough uh, to make sure that you don't publish something uh, without permission. So uh, let's talk real quickly, though, about what to do with endorsements that don't fit. Right. So you've reached out to your 12 people, and sometimes everything works out and you have 12 endorsements back, more than that what would fit on your back cover copy. So what do you do with those in- extra endorsements? Well, there's several things that you can do. One is that you can put them on the inner flaps of your hardback. So you have this hardback, this nice dust jacket. The dust jacket flaps kind of facing the inside of the books are great places to put reviews, right? Remember, just because you got 12 reviews back and each one of them is three paragraphs, that doesn't mean you have to have five pages of endorsements. In fact, you probably shouldn't have five pages of endorsements. But you could add a few pages of what people are saying about this book at the beginning of your book before the title page. And that's not uncommon. Uh, Finally, if you don't want to do that, I do think it's important if somebody sends you an endorsement to put it somewhere. I think it's pretty obnoxious to ask somebody to do this big favor and then you don't use the endorsement anywhere. So the final place that you can put the endorsement is on your website. So you feature it on your My Book Table page on your website. With There's a whole feature built into My Book Table just for showing endorsements. One advantage of this is that you can put their photo and a link to their website if they have one. So it's more like kind of a traditional endorsements page for a website. And it's a great place to put those extra endorsements that you don't have anywhere to put it. Because you can put as many endorsements as you want on your book page on your website. And then finally, step five is to thank the person for endorsing your book. You want to keep that wheel of reciprocity turning. Each good turn deserves another. You want to repay their kindness with another kindness. Remember, you're not keeping score, but you also don't want the ball to land on your side of the court. You want to knock the ball of blessing back to the other side of the court. So send the endorser a handwritten thank you card along with a signed copy of the book. Mention in the note where they can find their endorsement, especially if their endorsement is like on your website, right? Maybe you print off the page on your website and you highlight where you have the endorsement and put it in the thank you note or or slide it into the pages of the book. Also, consider sending a gift card or other uh, gift. As uh, Gino Hildebrandt once said, a thank you card without a gift is like a cloud without rain. So keep the cycle of reciprocity rotating, but don't give cash. This is a big no-no. 
Paying for an endorsement cheapens the endorsement in the eyes of readers, the author, and the endorser. This is like offering to pay your mom for making Thanksgiving dinner. It's a real taboo. And so gifts should be responded to in kind, a gift for a gift. So a nice bottle of wine or a gift certificate for a spa day is much better than money in this context. And don't forget about the free spreadsheet that I have to help you with this process. You really can get great endorsements. And it's all about digging your well before you're thirsty and being a generous person. Generous people have an easy way of getting endorsements back. The more you bless others, the more they want to bless you in return. Our sponsor today is the Author Media Mastermind Groups. So if you're looking for a group to join, I host three different mastermind groups where we meet once a month. There's a whole section, uh, in fact, a fairly large section inside of authormedia.social just for the mastermind groups. And this is where you get really personal interaction with me over time every month. And it's also a really great place to connect with other top writers who write similar works to you. And I will say the masterminds in our mastermind groups really go out of their way to help each other, right? They're having each other on their podcasts. They're reviewing each other's books. They're giving feedback on how to make that cover copy. So you're not just getting my help. You're also getting the help of the other masterminds and you're getting the opportunity to help the other masterminds yourself and getting that wheel of reciprocity turning in this context as well. Now, I've, the mastermind groups, there are some openings in each one of the mastermind groups, but I'm picky about who I allow in. And one of the biggest factors that I'm looking for is someone who has gone through either the Obscure No More course or Book Launch Blueprint or the five-year plan. So if you haven't gone through one of our courses yet, one of the big ones, I recommend that you go through one of those courses first. It's cheaper than joining a mastermind group and it's got a lot of that training. But if you have gone through one of those courses and you're wanting something more, you're wanting more help, you're wanting more encouragement, an author media mastermind group may be for you. And I have links on how you can find out more about author media mastermind groups at authormedia.com forward slash 297. Yes, there are a lot of links in this episode. Our featured patron today is Ashley Rescott, author of A Change in Tune. When violinist Victoria Pearson decides to participate in Belton University's concerto competition, she finds herself competing against her sister and lifelong celloist friend Jerry Chang. This sets in motion a rivalry that questions the roles of sisterhood, friendship, and love. Ashley, thank you so much for becoming a patron of the Novel Marketing Podcast. And if you would like to become a patron of Novel Marketing, just go to authormedia.com slash patron. And if you can't afford to become a patron, don't worry. Uh, you can still support the show if you want to. Just share this episode with one writer you think would find it helpful. And what writer doesn't need help getting more endorsements for their book? And quick update, I've decided what to do for episode 300. We're going to have a special live event. It's free to attend if you want to attend. I will record the episode live. We'll also have a chance for you to come on the show live and ask questions. And we'll have some fun guest appearances. I'll be giving away prizes. It'll be a fun event. And uh, hopefully, we've done a few of these in the past. Uh, This one, I'm really optimistic because uh, I have better technology. And you'll have a chance to have your face live on the screen if you want to and say something, and then we'll have a edited version that will go out on this feed uh, the next week. So if you can't make 
the live event. Don't worry, you won't miss out. We'll have an audio version. Uh, but if you can make the live event, you'll get to see the video version. You'll get to see my face and the face of uh, some of the other listeners. Now, I hope it'll be fun. And if you want to sign up, uh, I'll have a link in the show notes at authormedia.com slash 297. And I'll also send out an email to everyone on the Author Media email list with a link uh, to sign up to attend that free event on September 30th at 4 p.m. Central Time in the United States. The Novel Marketing Podcast is a production of Author Media. This episode's audio was edited by William Umstadt. The blog post is by Sean Lettler, and I am Thomas Umstadt Jr., your host. To find the blog post version of this episode, visit authormedia.com slash 297. Thank you for listening, and live long and prosper.